life was really traumatic in my early years. Right before I was three, my dad died in a car accident. I actually died, and when I came back, the doctors told my mom, we're not sure if she's ever gonna be functional. Me being a girl who started out life in a trailer, who lived in poverty, who then in adulthood said, oh, wait a minute, I don't have to prove that I'm smart enough or good enough or acceptable enough to learn and to build. Let's do this. Allie Worthington is a business coach and best-selling author. She helped thousands of men and women start successful businesses online, authored several best-selling books, and advised Fortune 500 companies. To be an entrepreneur, you really have to be hungry. There's this idea <laughs> that there are these secrets out there, and if you just spend $4,000 to learn the secrets, all of a sudden you can skip the groundwork. For the vast majority of us, it's just slow building until one day, hey, what do you know, it worked. Welcome to Daring Forward, where we feature ordinary women doing extraordinary things and learn practical lessons and action steps to help you live courageously. I'm your host, Sahar Twesajay. Now, if you're ready, let's dare forward. If you love a good rags to riches story, then you're in for a treat. Today, we're talking about how to rebuild your life after loss, and my guest is the person to show us how. Ali Worthington is a business coach and best-selling author of Standing Strong, Breaking Busy, Fierce Faith, and The Year of Living Happy. Ali lost everything when her husband's job came to a sudden and drastic end 10 years ago. Since then, she co-founded Blistem, the single largest international women's small business conference in the world, served as chief operating officer for Propel Women, helped thousands of men and women start successful businesses online, authored several best-selling books, and advised Fortune 500 companies, tech companies, and household brands. Ali, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I think a great place for us to start would be, how did you get started with your journey of entrepreneurship? Where did it all begin for you? Oh, gosh. Well, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, and I wanted to have a very large family. That was my goal. Five children later, I found myself loving motherhood, but I was exhausted by motherhood while at the same time being intellectually bored. And wow. we were moving around every couple of years. I had, you know, all of these kids. I didn't have a huge friend base because we moved around all the time. So I found my community on the internet. This is 2006, 2007 time and um, Twitter, different forums. I was like, I can connect with brilliant women all over the world from my living room. Amazing. Because with five children, someone needs a nap at any time. It's not like I could leave the house and really go invest in a bunch of community because I just had so many children to take care of all the time. And I fell in love yeah. with the internet and I started blogging, um, kind of early blogging back in the day. Fast forward to 2007, my husband loses his job, dream job. We have a big dream house, loses his job. Fast forward again to 2008, I'd had my fifth son. We lose the house. We thought it was going to be a short sale. So we were going to lose money on it, but we could get it bought. The recession happens. The deal goes through. We lose the house. The house goes into foreclosure. We end up oh. moving out, living with my grandfather for a summer and filing bankruptcy. I mean, the worst of the worst. So we would drive to a McDonald's Playland every day, scrape together change, 
and my husband would apply for new jobs and I would Google, how do you build a business on the internet? How do you make money online? Like, how does this stuff work? This is early uh, 2008. And by the end of the summer, my husband found a new job. We we're in Nashville, Tennessee, and we had we were ready to move back home. And I was ready to hit the ground running, building a business. So I did a ton of stuff that didn't work. I did some stuff that worked. And I fell in love with the fact that women could learn anything we wanted to learn. We didn't need to get anybody's permission. There were no gatekeepers. No one was checking that I came from the right background and I got this education or didn't get this education. And I wasn't, you know, I didn't have to prove I was good enough to try. And that for a woman, especially for me, I was a woman who grew up in poverty, but no one could tell me I wasn't good enough. No one could tell me, you know, who are you to learn these things? Who are you to build? Who are you to try? And I could just build. For the first time in history, women had this freedom to be able to do it. I became obsessed, not only for building for myself, but for teaching other women how to build too, because the world is literally at our fingertips. I could go off on a tangent now how to some degree, there's a bit of a skewed perspective due to social media where Mm -hmm. women feel like, oh, I I can move into more of a business, but the examples they see are people who are social media influencers. Yeah. Which is is not exactly the kind of freedom and really smart business building that I would love to see for women. But we're in we're in a bit of a season right now where where I see younger women thinking that that's the goal. And so if if I have mm-hmm. anything to say about it, I'm out here in my corner of the internet going, "No. Let's build a smart business." That doesn't exhaust you. Let's build a smart business where you don't have to be on camera all the time and feel all this pressure. Let's let's build something that's more long lasting for you. Wow, that's so good. You you mentioned at that point that you grew up in poverty. Can you tell me yeah. a little bit more about like what your childhood was like and what was it like growing up? Yeah, right before I was three, my dad died. In, my dad was a carpenter. But my dad died in a car accident. And when you're a carpenter, it's not like you have a lot of savings in the bank. It's not like there are resources. So my mom was 23. When we had the car accident, I actually died. And when I came back, the doctors told my mom, like, we're not sure if she's ever going to be functional. So I'm an only child. I've got this 23-year-old grieving mom who's just lost her husband. So life was really traumatic in my early years. And um, my mom did what she could to support us. But of course, no, it's a really, really traumatic few years. Um, My mom's great. I always felt really loved. I always felt valued. Uh, But it was hard. It was really hard. So would you say that you felt that trauma growing up? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Trauma that I'm still at 45, occasionally unpacking in a new way with my therapist. Wow. Yeah. I mean, because anybody that lives in life is is going to have trauma, whether it's from your childhood or something that happens in adulthood. I mean, yeah. trauma just means something happened to you that exceeded your ability to deal with it in the moment, right? That's a lot of life. That's That's the last two years for a lot of people, too. That was me at an early age. So me being a girl who started out life in a trailer, who lived in poverty, who then in adulthood said, oh, wait a minute, 
I don't have to prove that I'm smart enough or good enough or acceptable enough to learn and to build. Let's do this. It, it Life changed in that moment, and I never looked back. Would you say that um, your childhood, did it give you any tools for entrepreneurship? Well, I think it made me hungry. Mm. I think that to be an entrepreneur, you really have to be hungry. Some people are hungry for fame, and they get into entrepreneurship for that. Some people are hungry to make sure that they're never going to be in the situation that they were before. So that that would be me. Um, okay. The fame part of it, couldn't care less. The power and influence, couldn't care less. I just want to make sure my family's okay. So I started wow. in 2008, and by 2012, my husband retired from his job to help with the family and to be a stay-at-home dad. So that's been really great. By By 2012... I was traveling enough for work and busy enough for work. We made the decision that we wanted somebody to be running point with all of those millions of children we have. For you, the motivation behind having your own business was financial security? Yep. How did it then affect you when you guys lost your home and you find yourself as a young mom with five little boys living at your granddad's house? What was, what was going through your mind at that point? Honestly, I was a bit numb. So I never let myself freak out. I never let, I never really let myself feel the feelings of fear in that moment. It 100% translated to, I just need to figure out how to build. So I told myself it was temporary that my husband, luckily my husband did get a job. It's not like I had to, you know, earn six figures overnight. But Mm -hmm. I told myself the combination of he's going to get another job. We're going to be okay, and I'm going to build and build and build and never stop building because it was kind of in that season I realized, like, oh, jobs aren't 100% stable, right? You know, people are afraid of entrepreneurship because they're afraid of the ups (laughs) and downs, but your boss can fire you tomorrow. And then, you know, for us, if you're in the middle of a recession, it's really hard to find another job because everyone's panicking. So Mm. I never wanted us to be that vulnerable again. And people will ask me Mm -hmm. sometimes, like, how did you know it was going to work? I did not know it was going to work. How did you not give up when things were hard? I didn't have an option to give up when things were hard because we needed financial security. I think too often women especially will go into building something and they'll go, oh, I'm going to build something. But then things get hard and they go, oh, I thought that was for me. It's not for me. I'm not seeing any momentum. I'm not seeing enough progress. So I'm out. We can't be out because sometimes it takes a year. Sometimes it takes two years. It takes a while to get things going. You just have to go into it and go, I may pivot a million times. It may not look like what I think it's going to look like, but I'm going to keep going. That's the key. That's so good. Do you feel like sometimes people back out because they have a plan B? like say a job that they're doing? And what would you say if someone is in that position where they are trying to start something? um, How do you not give up or how do you create that sense of urgency where let's say you're in a position financially where you're okay and the business feels more like the risk? What would you say to someone who's in that position? If every day you feel in your gut that you're meant to do this and you want to do this and you're not going to be happy unless you give it a shot, keep going. 
It's easy to stop. It's especially easy for women to give up on themselves because we think if we're mm-hmm. building something, it will automatically work if we're supposed to do it. That's kind of this magical thinking. You know, if this is my calling, if this is my purpose, if I'm supposed to do this in the season, it will work. Well, it often doesn't work for a long time. So in 2008, I started a conference with someone else, like fresh off of being homeless. Let's just mm-hmm. give it a shot. It's very dinky the first year. Um, did not make a dime, 2008. Actually lost money on the conference in 2009. By 2010, we were bringing in a million dollars in sponsorship. Wow. So that was over the span of, is it two or three years? A year and a half. A year and a half. But how many people would have been like, oh, this didn't work. It didn't make money. We had this first Mm. session for free for 75 people in a lounge in a hotel that was dinky. This will never work. Second time losing a bunch of money, that's when most people are out. But sometimes things just have to take time. You know, we for mm-hmm. for people who go to college, who go to university, you're spending all of these years, you're going into debt to get a job, to work your way up through the ladder. We don't give ourselves the same amount of time or resources to be able to build a business. If the business isn't working in six months or 12 months, we go, oh, I thought it was for me. It's not for me. Sometimes things just take time, especially for yeah. entrepreneurs who need to build a platform. You know, you need to build an audience for books and for courses and coaching and things like that. If you don't give it time, you're never going to be able to make it. So I think adjusting expectations are really important. But Mm -hmm. one of the issues is women who teach, women and men who have courses to teach people, you know, sell your course and make six figures in three months. You know, (laughs) there's this, you know, I... I went from living in my car to buying a Ferrari in a month, you know, buy my course and learn my method. There's this idea (laughs) that there are these secrets out there. And if you just spend $4,000 to learn the secrets, all of a sudden you can skip the groundwork. And like, you can't skip the groundwork. Things, Things take a long time unless you're on a reality TV show. Or unless yeah. something crazy happens. But for the vast majority of us, it's just slow building until one day we hit like critical mass and momentum's going and we go, hey, what do you know? It worked. But there's a long time, sometimes a couple of years of going, I don't, I don't know if this is going to work. Let me try this a little bit. Yeah. No, thank you so much for saying that because I think... I mean, sometimes when you switch on Instagram and like that's all I'm like, that's the messages that I'm bombarded with consistently, which is six figures in six minutes, seven figures in seven minutes, seven days. Um, So I'm really glad that you touched on that because it really does create that sense of like some things may be wrong with you because you're not getting it fast enough. And Oh, yeah. I've coached some people in the past, long ago, earlier in their career, who are now in that business. And I'm like, I know the behind the scenes. Wow. I know you didn't buy a Ferrari last month. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) like I've been around. I know what you're doing. But unfortunately, it tends to be a pretty easy way to make money online by -hmm. convincing people that you have the magic secret. You know, uh, all of a sudden you're going to earn $5,000 this month if you pay me $5,000 for my magic secrets. So yes. yeah, it does. It plants the seeds in entrepreneurs that we're doing something wrong. We're not doing something wrong. It's just hard. 
It's fun, but it's hard. So if someone is in that position where they're in the grind, they're just starting out, how do you get through those hard seasons when you're not making any money? You're it seems like you're not making any traction and the goal that you're trying to hit just seems so far away. What would you say to someone in that position? Well, I would also say, remember when you were a freshman in college and you weren't sure what your degree was going to be in and graduation seemed so far away and you weren't sure exactly how it was going to work, but you wanted to get there. You want to think about your entrepreneurial journey as going to college or university. If you're in your first year, you're a freshman. I'm not sure. What do you call it in the UK? Is it it freshman Um, or year one? We call them freshers. Freshers. Okay. That's adorable. Okay. (laughs) So that, that, well, that was when I went to uni like a hundred years ago. So it could be something different. (laughs) No, I get it. Um, You want to think that if you're in year one, you're just figuring stuff out. You should not necessarily be, you know, rolling around in hundred dollar bills. You're just, you're just figuring it out. You're honing your skills you're figuring out what you want to say, what your message is, what your product is, what your service is. That's okay. Um, yeah. I I first had the idea to write a book in January of 2006. Okay. I didn't know what I was going to say. And thank goodness I didn't have a big audience or platform in 2006 because I would have gotten a book deal. And who knows what kind of nonsense would have been in my book in 2006. <laughs> It'd be terrible. I would have to be like, I, I can't believe I said those things. Forgive me. I was under the influence of something. Aliens had taken my brain. 10 years to that month (laughs) in January of 2016, my first book came out. I was ready to write my first book 10 years later, but I knew 10 years before that Mm -hmm. that's what I wanted. And often I'll talk to young writers who say, I know I'm supposed to write a book. And I go, okay, great. Let's let's hone in your message. Let's work on your platform. Let's build your audience. Let's do that. And they go, oh, no, no. I, I just, I mean, I just want to go ahead and write the book now. And I go, trust me, you, you want to go through the process of growth. You want to go through what this is going to do to you as a person um, and what you're going to learn about yourself as you build. Give it time. There is this idea that if we Mm -hmm. don't hit big benchmarks by the time we're 25 or 30 or even 35, we've missed out. I didn't write my first book until I was 40. And I'm so glad. Now, I'm I'm about to release next year book number five. So at at 46. So I'm I'm making up for lost time. But if we think that if we haven't hit this big goal by 25 or 27 or 30 and we go, oh, I've missed it. No, I mean, this is this is something that's a long-term plan. For some women, one of the biggest issues is the attitude of friends or spouses or family because it doesn't make sense to them because they don't have the same vision for what they're building. So like my husband referred to what I did blogging back in the day as my little hobby. Right. And yeah. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm like, oh, who likes a little hobby now? You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, We can't expect people in our lives to get our vision for what we want to do because they weren't given the vision. That is so good. And I think it's something that a lot of people struggle with. As you were saying, it's you have a dream, you have a vision. People don't get it or people think, oh, that's cute. Um, So how do you then protect your dream and just keep working on it. Because I think it's really hard when 
the people that are closest to you that you're looking for that support from don't get it? Like, how do you work with that and navigate that? They don't get it. I can remember in 2001, 2001, the internet is, no, 2000, internet is young. It's basically Yahoo shopping. There's not a lot mm -hmm. going on. I can remember being a, in, a, in a playland for kids, meeting another mom who ended up being a great friend of mine for years and years. And um, I said, you know, I feel like one day I'm going to help people on the internet. And she was mm -hmm. like, that's, that's crazy. Like I had two heads. I mean, she was nice about it, but there wasn't, no one was helping other people on the internet. The internet was like shopping in a few really like low-key games. Yeah. But I knew I always had something in me. There were little seeds planted, you know, that's 22 years ago now, which is crazy to think about. And, you know, I left that idea on the shelf while I was raising kids, but I would have little ideas through the years, like in 2006, you should write a book and all of this. It wasn't until I really got invested in building community online about 2007 that I realized, oh, there are people out there who will get this. My family doesn't get it. My friends don't get it. My mm -hmm. friends at church don't get it. But I have a friend in Turkey, and I have a friend in London, and I have a friend in Utah, and I have a friend in California, and we get together, <laughs> we talk. That's the power of online community. The fact that we can meet yeah. women who are amazing and learn from them, and we can get that support, fantastic. That's what we need because we can't expect our neighbors and our friends to get the vision that they never had. We have to surround ourselves, even virtually, with other women who are chasing a dream, who are building and want to support each other, because we are a small subset of people. Let's go back to something that you've mentioned, because I feel like you went through that quickly, and I want the juicy details. Oh, yeah. You okay. said, so the first business that you started was the conference, which was called Blistem, I believe. Blistem, uh-huh, yeah. And it became like the largest international um, small business conference for women in the world. Yeah. Okay, you're going to have to tell me how you started <laughs> and how you got it to that point, because I'm not going to let you just slide on that one. Okay. Yeah. So it is in the, the middle of being homeless, right? Mm -hmm. I get a DM on Twitter from a woman named Barbara Jones who lives outside of New York City. And she said, hey, um, there's a conference coming to town in Nashville. It was Blogger, uh, a big conference. I, I'm not sure if it's still going on now. And I have been hired by a company to host a cocktail party after. I would love for you to be the person who's kind of the hostess of the cocktail party. And um, you don't have to do anything. You just have to invite people. Because I, I've noticed from what I see, you're the person in Nashville who knows everyone. And I was like, okay, sure. And meanwhile, I'm like, I hope I'll still be back in Nashville because fingers crossed. One of the reasons... Mm -hmm. We did end up homeless is because I didn't want my husband to take a job somewhere else in the country. I was done moving around. So right. I kind of dug my heels in the sand and said, no, we're staying in Middle Tennessee. Like, we're, we're going to wait until we get a job. Yeah. So luckily, he did end up getting a job. And so we're moving back to town, and I'm inviting people to come to this event. And then the conference that was coming to Nashville that day canceled. They just didn't sell enough tickets. So I got a phone call from my friend, Barbara, and she said, I guess we're going to have to cancel. You know, it's such a bummer. The sponsor was excited about it. And I said, well, if everybody was already planning on coming and the sponsor is planning on paying for a cocktail party, 
why don't you ask the sponsor if they would just support the whole day and then we'll let everyone come for free. We don't have to make any money. Let's just, let's just see what happens. And she said, yeah. she said, okay, let's try it. So that's what we did. The funny thing is I had never been to a conference in my life. So I really? did a lot of Googling of how do you, because I was a stay-at-home mom. What was I, I going to do? I, I didn't, it wasn't even on my radar to go to a conference. Never been to a sure. conference in my life. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I Googled, like, how do you throw a conference? What do you need to do? I asked a lot of my online friends, like, what happens in a conference? And so we had panels and we had discussions about, you know, all of the the topics of the day in late 2008 with blogging and, and all those details, stuff that would be so irrelevant now. And the funny thing is I met her, Barbara, who I was hosting the event with yesterday, or the, the night before the, the conference. Mm-hmm. And the next morning she said, uh, great job on the run sheet. However, you didn't put opening remarks on there. Are you going to go up and do opening remarks? I said, oh, yesterday I did not mention this to you. However, um, I'm shy. Can't do it. And she said, <laughs> what do you mean you're shy? And I was like, I, I can't talk in front of people. She said, you're, you're hosting this and you're going to do panels. And I said, I didn't see anything about opening remarks when I was Googling for how to schedule a conference, and I'm not (laughs) mentally prepared. And I can be on a panel with people talking about things, but I can't go up by myself. Can't do it. I'm shy. Right. Okay. She said, you invited Mm -hmm. all of these people here. You just have to go up there and tell them welcome and that you're so glad that you're here. You need to get over yourself and go make (laughs) it about them and not about you. Get over there. So I got up in front of everyone, welcomed everyone. My life flashed in front of my eyes and it was pretty terrible, but I welcomed everybody. And the day went great. You did the it. day was super fun. Yeah. I had my baby with me. He was baby number like five. He was okay, three and a half nice. months old. And oh. we made a ton of jokes because we were in the, the closed, uh, we rented the bar of a hotel. So there was lots of like sweet home Alabama. You have a baby in a bar jokes. Um, But I was still like, I nursed him on a panel, you know, like this was, this was women coming together who were building businesses, just getting real. And we loved it. And I announced that day that this was September. I announced that we were going to have another one in February, much to Barbara's surprise. And luckily Barbara was an entrepreneur at heart and she said, okay, (laughs) let's give it a try. So it was really, um, it was really fun just figuring out how to build it, how to grow, how to partner with companies to make it worthwhile for them to invest money in the community and bring women in it. It grew and grew and grew. And, and so the conference would happen once a year in the States, once a year in Toronto. And when I wasn't running the conference, I was building on the side, you know, let me see if I can work an ebook. Let me try this. Let me try that. And I had lots of okay. different things that I was constantly trying because as an entrepreneur, you want to continually test things to find the next thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the story of the conference where I, I almost died making opening remarks because I didn't Google <laughs> and find out that I had to do that. That is so fascinating. So how do you then say to someone who is in that position where they're starting a business, they're running a business, and it's that pull of motherhood and your business and your work. Now, 
the thing about having a nine to five, most jobs anyway, it really depends on what you do and at what level and point of leadership you're at. But generally speaking, you can kind of clock in and clock out and, you know, leave work at work and then come home and then have to deal with that. Um, but sometimes when you work for yourself and in your scenario, like working out of home, everything kind of just blends together. So how do you navigate motherhood and work? I think of it like this. Women have always worked. It's just normally we, throughout history, we've worked inside the home and around the home. Mm-hmm. So throughout history, women are not sitting with their kids, just braiding hair and doing puzzles. You know, before appliances that that did all of our work for us, they were spending hours and hours a day preparing meals and washing clothes and, and doing the work that it takes to run a home. Yeah, There is this idea that to be a, a good mother, you sit around for six, seven hours a day and just have quality time with your kids. If you look at studies now, women who are working mothers, they spend more time with their children than stay-at-home moms did generations ago, one-on-one time. But wow. we carry so much guilt, like huh. we're dropping the ball, right? Um, yeah. So for me, I never really felt guilty about it because I always equated it with future security. Now, my little mm-hmm. guy, who was the baby in the bar at the first event, who is now almost 14, he <laughs> used to walk up to me as a toddler, and he w- I would be on the couch with my computer, and he would smack my computer closed and say, no work, mommy, no work. Oh. <laughs> I, I get it, but I had work to yeah. do, you know? Yeah. So we would have fun outings every day. We would do all the, the great stuff, but I worked a lot. You know, I, I was in my early 30s, so I had much more energy than I have now at 45. So I'd put them to bed and I'd stay up till 12 o'clock every night. I'd work through their nap times and do all those things. I was really careful about my screen time with if I was going to be online, I was going to be working. You know, I wasn't mm-hmm. going to be wasting time. Uh, there weren't as many time wasters on your phone in 2008, 2009, 2010 sure. as there are now, right? Yeah. That's the beginning yeah. of iPhone. Um, so for moms that feel guilty, my recommendation is to really focus in that work time, but then make sure you're not on your phone kind of having downtime as well. So right. have those hours where you're working, but limit the the phone time that isn't necessarily work time. And then it can yeah. stay. But I don't think there's a problem with kids seeing mom's work. I don't think there's a problem with saying this is this is the work I'm going to have to do. I when my youngest one was little, I would write down the time so he could go look at the time on the oven and say, "I'm going to be working until the clock says, you know, three oh oh." Ah, and, so you'd set that expectation for him. Yeah, and then when the clock says three oh oh, we're going to go swimming, or you know, we're going to watch mm-hmm. Blues Clues or whatever else. And mm-hmm. when my older boys, before they had phones, they would slip. Um, note cards under my door, like, have you seen my blue shorts? And I would, you know, be working or on calls and I would answer the question and slip the note back out under the door. Uh, it's funny. I, I travel a lot for work. I probably have, depending on the year, 15 to 20 events a year where I'm speaking or business trips. And my 15-year-old, a couple of years ago, he was in my home office where I am now. And yeah. he referred to me as a stay-home mom. And I was like, 
huh, um, oh. you're, you're in my office and I travel all the time. Like, what, what do you mean? I'm a stay home mom. And he goes, well, you're here for us. You're a oh. stay home mom. And I was like, okay, it's okay. <laughs> oh, I would have just started bawling right then and there. That is just amazing. Yeah, I think amazing. there's this idea that if we have wow. interest and we have passion and we're investing in something for the future, it's going to hurt our children. It's not. It's the work that I've done for my business and the work that I've done on myself, because mm -hmm. we have to do the work on ourselves to be able to grow a thriving business. It's all yeah. of that work that I have done that I could have spent years feeling guilty for because I was not the PTA mom. I was not volunteering in class. I... Christmas parties where you have to go stand in a classroom where everyone eats casserole, didn't go, mm. don't care, mm. had better things to do. I could have felt guilty about all of that. But now I'm at a point where because of the work I've done, I have, you know, my college son going, my friends need to talk to you for some advice. It's, it's not a thing where I hurt my kids. It's a thing where my kids respect me and talk about it and are excited to tell other people, you know, my mom's really smart. She can help you with that taco truck. <laughs> uh, I love it. That is so cool. Yeah. That same boy, when he was early in middle school, he came home one day and said, I really wish you were like all the other moms at school. Like, I wish you wow. hung out with them. I wish you spent time with them. I wish you came to stuff. And I, you know, I come to a couple things a year, but I, I'm not coming. I'm not, I'm not volunteering on field day. I'd happily yeah. pay someone if there was a high school student who I could hire in my place to volunteer on field day. Um, and I said, I'm sorry, buddy. I just, I can't be one of those moms because that's not what life looks like for me right now. I, I'm, I'm building and I have a business. And it took three years maybe. And out of the blue, he came home from school and goes, I'm so glad you're not like all the other moms because you're way more interesting and you have a lot going on and you're just not dramatic. And I was like, takes a little while, but you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I think what you've just said right there is so liberating for so many women, uh, myself included, because mine are still young. Um, and actually, when I think about it, when, when, we, when we grew up and we were young, Um, I grew up in the Middle East, in the Emirates, and the culture there was that everybody ha had house help. Yeah. And I remember just one of my favorite things to do was just to sit down and just get to know the the our house helpers and our nannies, like whenever they would come and rotate. And you would hear how difficult some of their lives were. Uh, a lot of them were mothers who would leave their their children back in the countries that they came from and it would and I'm talking about like 10 20 years and awesome. their their parents would look after their kids but they had that conviction because they knew that them coming to the Emirates and working there was giving their children such a good standard of life had they chosen yeah. to stay there and so sometimes like I just feel like we all have such different lives and sometimes we have to make choices that just seem impossible. I think listening to you, really think long-term about the decisions that you're making. How is this going to affect your family long-term? And do what you have to do. And just once you make that decision, I don't think guilt is a, an emotion that serves anybody or has any good purpose. 
So thank you for sharing that, actually, and just being brave enough. Because like you're saying, the culture on Instagram is is so different. And there's so much expectation on on young moms to be so many things. It's just not sustainable. Well, and I'll say this. I would not be on social media at all if not for work. So the rise yeah. of social media came at, at the rise of me starting my business. I think we're going to mm. look back in five years and 10 years and know the damage that social media is causing. And mm. and really, it's going to be a wake-up call that, for especially for younger women coming up, thinking that other, you know, these big accounts are setting the standard for the way marriage should be and, ch- and raising kids or, you know, a million dollars in a month and all this stuff. Very yeah. damaging messaging that that people are getting all the time. Yeah. I say handle handle with care. I'm on social for work, but yeah. if I have posted and I've engaged, I'm definitely not scrolling because it, it it's not good for my heart. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I totally hear that. You mentioned earlier that um I think you used to work with women um, or you used to have clients who were in the influencing space and that you don't you don't work in that capacity any, anymore. Is that the reason why? Part of it, yeah. I don't want to I don't want to help build that culture because I, I don't feel like it's a I don't even feel like it's a smart business move to wake up one day and go, I want to be an influencer. I want to take photos of my life and share videos of me going about my life and give coupons out all day long. Like mm. because what happens is you're commodifying yourself. When I was younger, I was doing some uh some blogging for a really popular website back in the day. And they would send us stuff and have us write articles about it, like, you know, big Lego things or a, we got a um, gaming system at one point, a PlayStation. And so I would, you know, take pictures of the kids using it and write a review, which Mm -hmm. I thought, well, this is great. You know, it's easy to write an article. But I realized really quickly I was using my children for financial gain. And so after I did that, I did a couple of articles. I never did it again because Mm -hmm. it wasn't worth getting a PlayStation or some Legos and some toys if I then had to go, okay, kids, sit right here and pose, and I'm going to take a picture and come play with this right now, and I'm going to, you know, put you online forever. It felt very wrong to me to, Mm -hmm. to use my children as business fodder. And when you're in the influencing space, especially if you have a family, that becomes part of it where you're leveraging your family life for likes online. And I do think that that's inherently unhealthy. So I would rather women build a a strong business with a product or a service or even an affiliate business if they have a great platform, um, mm -hmm. but not make a business just about personality and giving out coupon codes. I feel like that's really dangerous. So you said something interesting there, because one could easily say that having an affiliate business, like what is what would the difference be between, you know, selling affiliate products and being an influencer? Aren't they one and the same thing? Someone could say. Not necessarily, because say you want to be an affiliate in the pet care space. You start Mm -hmm. a website where you're writing articles about pet care and you grow a big platform about pet care. And so then you're continually partnering with brands to bring new pet care items. You know, every time someone buys a a dog chewy, you get $2, things like that. Mm -hmm. That's 
that doesn't set you up to have a performative personality where you wake up in the morning and go, oh, I have to do 50 stories today and and I have to, you know, do plan photo shoots and things like that where it's mm-hmm. all based on you. I mean, there's there's such a high rate of especially YouTubers of them mm-hmm. burning out and just saying, I may have had a million subscribers, but I was miserable. Because right. once you grow a big platform that's based on your personality, there's also the chance that you're going to have to deal with a lot of hate and a lot of ugly comments. And humans are not built necessarily Mm -hmm. for that level of fame, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think, yes, you can, you can share your life in a natural way. And because of your charisma and because of the stuff you like, that can grow a platform. That's good. I mean, I have a platform. Building a platform is good. But building a platform for the sole purpose of being an influencer is not a smart business move, um, not in terms of our emotional health and not in terms of long-term health of business. You want a service, you want a product, even if you make your own product. Um, you don't want to rely on the the whims of who's going to give you a discount code for random items. That's some really, really sound advice that I, I yeah. wish more people um, would champion uh, online these days. Um, Can I add one thing? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I do think one of the smartest things women can do is build a personal platform. Whether you have an idea for a business right now or you're going to get an idea for a business in 10 years, us building a personal platform is us controlling the narrative around our self, around our brand. A lot of people are on don't like the term personal brand, but you can say mm-hmm. this will let you control the narrative about you. Because Mm -hmm. we live in an online world, people are Googling you, you want to be the person, you know, if you don't have a website, you don't want to keep up a website, have a one page, that's your photo, your bio, you know, what you're interested in, control, own your name, own your URL, own your name on social media, the more people you have following you, the better it's going to help you get new jobs. If you want to work your way through a career, like we're in a space now, especially journalists, the more people that they have following them, the better jobs they get. You want to build up your platform and think about it as money in the bank for whatever you want to do in the future. If you have an affiliate business and you're not really kind of in the forefront, if products are in the forefront, build yourself up in the background because maybe in five years you want to write a book. Whatever you want to do, continue to Build your numbers, build your audience of people who are interested in you. That's great for security for women. And it lets you control the narrative about who you are and how you're presented to the online world. And I just want to make this point. You are not saying that you shouldn't have a personal brand. What you're saying is don't build a business. Yeah, you want a personal brand. You don't want to build um, a platform where you are the sole focus on the product itself. You want to build a business and have a personal yeah. brand while you're at it. Exactly. What would you say is the number one thing that someone needs to to follow their passion and their purpose if they're just getting started? They need good mentors. So that can come from being mm. in a group, in a community of people who are just a few steps ahead of them. They, you can Google a lot for free, but you really want to get in a group of people who 
understand things, who have experience, who have wisdom. Not everyone can hire a coach in the beginning. It's one reason why I have my internship. So I can have women working alongside me, learning from me, you know, speaking into their lives, speaking into their businesses, because I don't have time for people to, you know, email me and say, I want to pick your brain. I I wish I had time. I don't have time. But so the internship is a great opportunity. Um, Online groups are great. All you have to do is find women who are supportive and encouraging and a couple steps ahead who can say, oh, don't do this. There's a huge mistake or a time waster. Do this instead. You find those women who are going to help you out every step of the way, you'll be just fine. So good. What What would you say is the thing that you're most proud of? What's the achievement that you're the proudest of? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Um, it's my books. Because I, I pour so much of my life into my books mm. and I, I do it in a really vulnerable way. They're They're all like walking into a crowded room naked and being like, here's me. Go ahead and leave comments. It's great. <laughs> um, yeah. But I feel like I feel like my books are most meaningful because I have to be really brave and courageous, not only writing them, mm-hmm. but then the promotion side of launches. Um, it feels uncomfortable and vulnerable to constantly be telling people to go buy your book and give them all the reasons why they need to go buy the book. So yeah. it's really it's 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 twofold. It's the bravery that it takes to be honest and bring the truth out in a book, as well as the bravery it takes to put yourself out there and try to convince people to give that book a shot. Yeah, I can I can imagine that. What would you say was your hardest book to write and why? Mm, Fierce Faith, because it's all about fear and worry and anxiety. And mm-hmm. when I started writing it, my life fell apart. My husband got really sick. I had about six months where I would sit and think every day, I don't want to do this anymore. This is terrible. What I didn't realize is when you write a book on a topic, if you haven't really gone through it in depth and struggled Mm -hmm. through it recently, you're not going to have a good book. So it was as if I needed to, to walk through hell to be able to bring people a bucket of water with that book. So It was terrible. It was like punching myself in the face every day to write it. But it's also the book that I'm most proud of. That's profound. Yeah. Yeah. The book I'm writing now is on motherhood. And I'm I'm happy to say it's been a joy to write. It has been fun. I'm halfway done with it. I hope that doesn't mean it's going to tank. We'll see. Like, (laughs) I'm used to it being so hard. So now with something... something being easy, it's quite lovely. A year... I was supposed to write it a year ago. And... But I couldn't have created in wow. early 2021 after coming through, a, you know, we all, most people went through some sort of burnout or hitting the wall in the middle of the pandemic where we're good with acute problems. You know, every woman especially is like, oh, crisis? I got this. But when that crisis turned chronic and our kids were mm. home forever and we weren't sure about health and we were losing people we loved and people are in financial struggles... For me, I kind of hit that wall in 2021, and there wasn't a single woman that I worked with that at some point or 2020 or 21 didn't also hit that wall. So it was a great lesson to me that it is okay for us as business women and as creators to have seasons where we can't create new things because mm-hmm. we have to heal. One of the things that I work with my clients on so much is we can do strategy and spreadsheets and planning and go through all the details all day long, 
But unless you're healthy, unless you're emotionally healthy, unless we have your mindset right, your business is going to have a lid on it where you're never going to be able to grow. And it's okay to not push ourselves in seasons where we have to kind of pull back a little bit and take care of ourselves to be able to launch to the next area of our business. Oh, so good, Ali. So good. I wish I heard this when I started out because I had this, again, it's going back to the narrative in the mind. You should, you should, you should, you should. And that's just so refreshing to hear. I have one more question for you. Okay. Had you not followed this path of entrepreneurship, where do you think, uh, or what do you think you'd be doing now? I don't know. Um, like I said, my real vision growing up was to be a stay-at-home mom. So had financially we've been okay, I think I would have been uh, raising kids and probably volunteering at a zoo. Because when I was in college, I did work as a, do- a docent zookeeper. So I really? could see myself. Yeah, I, I worked with giraffes and penguins. Uh, I could see myself doing something with animals. That's so fun. That's a good point, actually. So if you were to receive a million dollars today. Yeah. Oh, it'd need to be how like just How million. would you spend that money? Uh, no, let's um, say you have a million. What would you spend? A million? It on? Oh, I mm-hmm. would put I would put 80% in investments and 20% in crypto and then live off the dividends in retirement. That's what I'd do. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a solid plan. You knew that. <laughs> yeah, that that answer just rolled off your tongue. Is it something you've thought about before? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With every book, I'll say to my husband, this could be yeah. the book that sells a million copies. You never there know. You There's you never know. right there. You never know. Yeah. It's so true. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're coming to the section. Uh, we're rounding up the episode and yeah. we do something with our guests that is really fun. So we've got a, a quick fire question, a uh, set of questions that I have, and you're supposed to just speak before you think. Okay. So I'm going to ask oh, you a bunch uh, of questions. I could get canceled, but we'll, yeah. we'll see. It's okay. <laughs> We're in this together. We'll be canceled together. <laughs> okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So give me three ex- excuses not to exercise at all. An elephant set on, okay. An elephant set on my Peloton. Um, I'm going to an amusement park this weekend and I can't risk being sore. Um, uh-huh. I just washed my hair yesterday. And if I exercise, I'll have to wash it again tomorrow. And I don't have time for that. That's that's a good one, especially that's, if you have curly hair. That's my normal hair. one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Curly hair. That's real. Okay. Give me three things men will never understand. PMS. Mm-hmm. Um, the need to tell your girlfriends everything. <laughs> and the lore of Downton Abbey. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's mm-hmm. good. Okay. Give me three things to say when your friend shows you their ugly newborn. All newborns are beautiful and ugly at the same time. Um, She looks just like you. (laughs) He is so handsome because you got to lie in that moment. And um, can I smell your baby? Because I'm a sucker to smell a newborn baby. Yes. Oh, that newborn Makes me want to have another one. Just yeah, right now. Same. Yeah. Same, same. Yeah. You got to lie in that moment. I just, I yeah. do condone lying. Yeah. <laughs> Give me three people you would love to see printed on toilet paper. Oh, gosh. Um, 
Oh, gosh. Okay, let me think. Let me think. I'm rewatching The Crown right now, mm-hmm. and there is a naturopath who got Philip in trouble. He needs to be on toilet paper in season two. Um, okay. Most politicians on both sides in the in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody good. Who needs to be printed on toilet paper? The bad guy who is um, in season five of Peaky Blinders, who is like basically a fascist running for office, and he's like so evil. Uh, Peaky Blinders is not appropriate for children. If anybody's watching, don't watch it with your children. Um, Mm -hmm. I think his name is Mosley. Terrible. He needs to be on toilet paper. Got it. Ali, where can people find you online if they want to connect with you? Oh, that's a great question. I am Allie Worthington, uh, AllieWorthington.com. My podcast is The Allie Worthington Show. And if anyone is interested in becoming a coach, you can find me at The Coach School. And if they're interested in writing and speaking, you can find me at Called Creatives. Amazing. Well, you did not disappoint, as I expected. You've been so much fun to have on the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. This has been great. Thanks for tuning in today. All the resources mentioned in the show are linked below if you're watching on YouTube and linked in the show notes if you're listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then I want to invite you to help us spread our message by choosing one of four ways. One, subscribe to the YouTube channel or the podcast. Two, leave a review if you're listening to the podcast. It really helps. Three, let me know in the comments below what the key takeaways were for you in today's episode. And four, Share this episode with one friend who could use a little bit of courage today. And if you want to binge our episodes, may I suggest you watch this episode right here if you're watching on YouTube. That's it. Until next time, don't forget to live courageously and dare forward.